You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus' Talk on the Hill. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. If you would take your Bibles and turn... Uh, to Matthew chapter 5. How was your week? Was it good? How many of you did not murder anybody this week? Raise your hand. Awesome. So you know at least one ten commandment and you have kept it. Score one for you. Well, then again, maybe not. In Jesus' famous sermon on the Mount, Jesus took some of God's commandments, and he raised the bar higher. For example, he really ramped up this one on murder. And we're going to talk about, that's what we're going to talk about today. He ramped it up by saying, uh, don't even harbor anger in your hearts or make it part of your spirit. Let me underscore it with this. He says, I don't want you insulting others. I don't want you saying insulting things to others. How many of us were angry with somebody this week? How many of us potentially even said something that was insulting or demeaning to somebody this week? Ouch. Because Jesus has some really strong words to say about that. Uh, We're working our way through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. It's a collection of Jesus' teachings that show us how life is to be like in the kingdom. And what happens when we really engage, embrace, and follow Jesus and all that he is and calls us to be. Uh, Here's a key thought on this that you want to be aware of. It is simply not a new ethic or a higher moral standard, but it's a description of what Jesus does in us and through us as we are relationally connected to him and we follow him. As we follow Jesus and we live in the context of of his life. So I want you to turn to chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. We're really starting this week. Last week, uh, we talked about the most righteous people of his day. And what did Jesus say to them about them? He said to his followers and those people who were gathered for this teaching, and he, and he kind of gets in their grill, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds, surpasses your righteousness, your right standing before God and before people, unless that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees who were the most righteous people of the day, he says, sorry, you're, uh, you're, you're not in a good place. That would be like me saying to you, you know something? Um, You know Billy Graham. You've heard of Mother Teresa. Unless your righteousness, your goodness, unless it exceeds them, uh, sorry, you're going to miss the mark. And Jesus does that purposely because those very people that he talked about, the scribes and the Pharisees, became really self-righteous. Uh, They begin to see themselves as checking uh, the spiritual boxes and becoming the ones that look at us. And they would pray it before people and say, look at us, look who we are. Look what we're doing, look what we're not doing. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm gonna come, I'm gonna ramp this up a little bit. I'm gonna teach you about what was really meant, what the law, uh, the 10 commandments were really about. 
because it wasn't just the action and the activity, uh, but it's the will, it's the attitude, it's the heart. And Jesus goes and he's going to give six examples. And today we're going to look at the first one. And he starts off each of these six examples, the rest of chapter five. And he starts off by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And each time he says, but I have come to fulfill the law. I want to take you deeper. I want you to have a greater understanding, a broader perspective on what that means. So let's look at the first example and I'll just read through this and I'll come back and talk about each verse in just a moment. But uh, starting at uh, chapter five, verse 21, Jesus says, you have heard it said that it was said to your ancestors and those people before you, do not murder and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Here's the key phrase, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults, whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court standing before the Sanhedrin. Whoever says you fool, you'll be subject to hellfire. Wow. Wow. So if you're offering your gift in the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and then offer your gift, your sacrifice to God. Jesus goes on, he says, I want you to reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and to you, you may maybe just be thrown in prison. But truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penalty, penalty, the last penny, excuse me. See, there's a price with this thing called anger and Jesus wants to underscore it. And I, and I don't know this, but I wonder if he starts off with this first one because this is really the first criminal act that we see in the Bible other than uh, our offense to God when Adam and Eve sinned. But this is the first criminal act that we see take place with humans. Remember when, uh, when Cain killed Abel. And so he starts here with murder. And I, I, so I just want to look at this, kind of walk you through it. It says, uh, Jesus says, it was said to you, do not murder. That was God's law, don't murder. Jesus didn't, he said earlier in the passage we looked at last week, I don't, I don't come to abolish the law, but I come to fulfill it. That is, I'm here, you no longer have to do the animal sacrifices. You don't have to live by the ceremonies that my people had to in, in the old times, in the times of antiquity. But now I want to come and I want to kind of do a reset. I want to, I want to do a restart on your understanding of what it means to live out my Ten Commandments. See, the Pharisees thought that they would fulfill it because they simply refrained from physically murdering somebody. Here's what they would do. Oh, I didn't kill somebody. So they would high five one another. Hey, look at us, man. We didn't ice anybody this week. We didn't whack somebody, you know? Woo, good job. And that's how the people begin to think about it. And that's how they begin to communicate it so that people so that people would see them as being, wow, they're so righteous. But there's so much more to this command than not having bloodshed. 
Jesus takes it to this whole new level, to this attitude of the will. He says, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I say, I don't want you to stay angry. See, the first thing you notice here, the way Jesus communicates this, is he makes a statement, he says, I am saying this. See, the rabbis in his day, his contemporaries, those teachers, they would have said something like, well, you know, the law says, the prophet said, or rabbi so-and-so says, but, they get, but Jesus goes, he, he kind of bypasses all that. And he says, you know, you've heard all those people say, uh, let me kind of give you the lowdown. And he asserts his divine authority. He uh, implicitly claims to have the authority to explain God's word in a fuller manner. And that's what he's doing. He says, I'm going to come in here to abolish it. It's still going to stand, but I do come to fulfill it. And I come to fulfill it and to fill your understanding with it. See, Jesus, he's, when he does this, you have to understand the rabbis in, the, in that day. And this is why Jesus had so much trouble with the religious leaders, because he either had to be a false prophet, a madman, or who he said he was, the son of God. You really have no other options. But Jesus comes and he raises this bar on anger from the physical act to the attitudes in our hearts. It's not enough, loved ones, to just not murder. He says, I don't ever want you to wish that somebody would be dead. I don't want you to ever wish that a person would die. I love the words of Martin Luther King, who admonished people in his work toward freedom. He said, to avoid not only violence of deed, but violence of spirit. And that's exactly what Jesus is dealing with here. Jesus wants to change us from the inside, and he wants to just come in and extricate the anger and the bitterness and the resentment to our heart. Now I want you to notice there's, there's two places that murder always happens before it happens physically. First of all, there's murder in our heart because really the kingdom of God and everything that Jesus is establishing and really is talking about on the Sermon on the Mount all starts with heart issues. It wasn't a physical kingdom. It was the kingdom of God that he says, I want you to come and I want you to understand how this is going to work as we begin to raise what's taking place here. So it starts, first of all, murder in the heart. Why do people commit murder? Well, unless they're a sociopath or a psychopath, they usually start because they're angry or hateful towards someone. That's ultimately what's going to lead them to kill somebody. Jesus says, we will never solve the world's issues or problems by dealing simply with behavior. That's why the Sermon on the Mount becomes so important because he says, you've got to deal with the hard issues. You will never stop murder until you extricate anger and hatred from the human heart. The apostle John said it this way in 1 John 3, 15, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. See, God's always looking at our hearts. Remember when he chose David? Everyone's looking at the outside, but, well, God speaks to Samuel, and he says, no, I'm not looking at their size, their strength, their intellect, their spiritual acumen. I'm looking at their heart. And that's what Jesus is, again, bringing us back to, the matters of the heart. Have you ever been so angry with someone you said, I would love to get my hands on them? Have you ever been so angry 
that you said, I just love to kill them? Have you ever been so angry that, you know, I have to tell you, true confession, I probably shouldn't, forgive me, I love revenge movies. Have you ever put yourself in one of those where you just go, yeah. Have you ever seen yourself as a martial arts expert where you could just take somebody on? Now, listen, hold on. I'm a pastor. I have never done that. I'm just kidding. I have. But see, Jesus is challenging us here. And he says, I don't want you to do that. I don't want anger to become that kind of part of your heart or your life. I remember it was a number of years ago, and I tell you this because I, I think I've mentioned it one time publicly. We dealt with this with our, quote, church membership. Uh, it was a number of years ago now that uh, we had a staff member that embezzled a large sum of money. This was someone that Trina and I had helped personally in a lot of ways to kind of get their life back together. They had, uh, this person had children and they were a single parent. And so Trina and I had really helped this person to kind of get their life back on track. And then we ended up giving them a job here at the church and we continued to help them in uh, just, just a lot of very generous and gracious and God honoring ways. So I'm away on vacation in another part of the world and I get this phone call. And one of our council members says, you know, PT here, I just got some really bad news for you. It looks like this, we found that this person has embezzled a lot of money. So I got four days left on my vacation. And I'm thinking this whole time, it was no longer fun. It gave me basically four days to stew and think and just really get fired up. I was so angry at this person, not just because of the, the personal investment, because of the investment of this church. I'll, I'll finish that story in a little bit. Obviously, anger doesn't always end with murder. But anger has this corrosive effect on everyone and everything that it touches. It wounds other. It warps the spirit of the angry person. When you become the receptacle of this and you allow the heat to be turned up, it really becomes very corrosive. Uh, there's issues spiritually where it affects relationships, but there's also issues physically, medical. Uh, there's a lot of medical reports that estimate a high percentage of diseases can be caused by emotional stress. The secretions of anger from our adrenal uh, thyroid and pituitary glands, it just releases these toxins into our bloodstream that begin to just sit there and flow through our whole body. Anger can cause heart attacks, strokes, high blood pressure, ulcers, and a lot of other physical ailments, not to mention things like hopelessness and sometimes depression and a loss of self-esteem. Now, I know some of you are wondering, well, isn't it all right sometimes to be angry? Absolutely. Some anger is right. Some anger is righteous. The Bible talks about it. Uh, we read throughout the scriptures where God was angry at this or that. It happened in a number of places. It says Jesus was angry when he went over. He was so angry. He went into the temple and he began to turn the tables over. And there's money flying and there's animals running around. 
Why was he angry? Because he was so ticked off. He was so righteously angry because people who were seeking to connect with God, people who were seeking to touch God, they came into his temple and they found it as a marketplace for profit, as a place for people to come in and make it their personal commerce to make money at the expense of people trying to come in and worship God. Jesus was angry at the religious leaders of his day because of their hardness of heart. They said, we'd rather keep people sick than see them healed on the Sabbath because they had changed the Sabbath from what Jesus said it was made for man. They had made it this thing where they could look righteous because of all the things they did or they didn't do. Tick Jesus off big time. Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. It's possible to be angry and not sin. But there are times uh, when in our, in, our, in our anger, we can become very unrighteous. Colossians 3.8 says but this, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things like anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Why does it seem that God goes after this with a full court press and strongly negative view? Well, James 1, 19 and 20 says this, be slow, to, be slow to anger for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. That's interesting, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that when you get mad, you do kind of stupid things? Have you ever noticed when you get really angry, you'll say stupid things, you'll do stupid things? It doesn't accomplish any of the high purposes that God has for your life and usually for that moment. You can get to the place sometimes where you can be, you, you, you can be so right that you actually become wrong. And it's interesting because when you find yourself doing that, you, 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 know what the, you, you know what the undercurrent of that is? It's this cauldron of anger that is boiling underneath the surface. And it's usually tied to and systemic to something else. Because see, the issue, friends, really for most of us, um, it isn't that our anger is good. It's seldom righteous. We get angry because we don't get our own way or we get mistreated. Two Greek words for anger. There's thumos, which refers to anger. That It's kind of like a flame that it flames up. You ever, have you ever just seen straw put it in a little fire? It just goes, whew, and then it subsides. That's the, that's the first main word for anger in the Greek. It blazes, and then it just quickly subsides. Now, the word that's used here is orge, and it has to do with an anger that broods, that it's nurtured, it's long-lived. Jesus says, I don't want you to nurse your anger. I don't want you to allow it to become part of your life to take over. So that's all you're thinking about, where you're nursing a grudge, where you let bitterness fester, where you let anger linger. Just kind of boil underneath the surface of your heart. It's like an environmental problem when we've seen in the past where places try and bury their toxic waste. So they put this, the toxic waste into these canisters. What do they do? They take them outside the city. They bury them underground. The city begins to spread out and they build out there. And what happens, these, this toxic waste begins to seep out. The problem is gone, but it's not really. Out of sight, out of mind, but not really. See, later people on the outskirts of town, they begin to get sick. 
and their strange accumulation of symptoms, it's all traced back to the contaminated water system because of this toxic waste that was buried. And we've seen a lot of stories of that taking place, even in our nation that has been uh, very careful. See, here's the thing about anger. It always leaks out. It always spills out. Some are a lot better at hiding it, but it always comes out. You know, the truth is it's almost impossible to not get angry at things, isn't it? But it's not wrong to feel the anger. It's what you do with it that becomes so important, friends, with this process. Do you face it? Do you admit it? Do you acknowledge it? Do you work it out? Or do you hold on to it tight and do you nurse it along, keeping it alive? Do you ignore it and just hope that it's eventually going to go away? Because here's the truth, it usually doesn't. It continues to grow. Now, let me just crowd you a little bit right now at this point. Are, are you angry with someone? Do you have a grudge that you're nursing towards someone? Or are you bitter toward anyone? Jesus says, I want to change your heart. Because if you don't change your heart, it's going to begin to spill out into your behaviors and your actions toward the people around you. I want you to forgive them and make things right. See, we can have this murderous intent in our heart when we just simply kind of house up and store anger. But we can also murder somebody with our tongue. Jesus said, again, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be danger of the fire of hell. Jesus takes murder beyond just the physical act and to the anger of our hearts. And now he talks about this anger that comes through our words. See, when you insult someone, you can kill their self-esteem and you can assassinate their character. Proverbs 18.21 says, Tongue has the power of life and death. Uh, underscore that if you would, in your heart. Your words, those things that we speak, have the power of life and death. That's a pretty powerful thing. I read where it takes five positive things to outweigh one negative thing that is said because the brain has something called this negativity bias where we just have this ability to remember bad news over good news. See, words carry incredible power and weight to them. And it's so easy for us to throw them around carelessly like children playing with hand grenades who simply begin to, oh, I'm going to pull the pin here. And what happens? The thing goes off. See, when we speak out of anger, that's what we're doing. We pull the pin on our words and it causes people to get really hurt. And, and here's the sad thing. You know, there's some people who just don't give a fly and rip. And I'm talking about Christ followers. Well, that's just how I feel. That's just what I think. Well, maybe you should quit feeling and quit thinking. Because that's how people respond today. And see, Jesus uses two examples here of angry words. The first one he says is, is racha. It, it's, an, it's an Aramaic word and it has to do, it's very, it has a great strong contempt to it. It means empty. And this word was used to insult somebody's intelligence. It was calling someone an empty-headed nitwit, a numbskull. 
a blockhead, a brainless idiot. Uh, one scholar said that it described a tone of voice that was full of content. I mean, just say that, raka. Say it, raka. I mean, it just sounds bad, raka. Another scholar said that it means I spit on you. Think of anything that in some ways is more contemptuous than spitting at somebody. You watch professional athletes. I watched professional golf and Tiger Woods. You know what he used to do? There was a season in his life when he would, he hit a bad shot. He'd miss a putt on a green. And as he was walking off, he would turn around and he would spit on it. Why? Because it was like showing contempt for the green. There's a couple of football players. One was a former uh, Raider. And we saw it on Monday Night Football where he got really mad at this guy. So he walked up to him and threw his face guard. He just hawked a big loogie. And it's crazy because they showed it. They showed a replay of it in slow motion. And I won't give you the details. But why is that? It's because he has so much anger. He has so much contempt in the moment. And these terms of contempt can murder someone's self-esteem. Some of you grew up in homes where such terms were just carelessly thrown around like your parents would get irritated and they'd say, you're an idiot, you're stupid. You're good for nothing. I begin to say those things and it's almost as if I can see and tell some of you were wincing like, ah. It brings it back really quickly. I, I remember hearing those words. Loved ones, let me just challenge you. Please don't use them on anybody, including yourself. I was, it was a while back, I don't know if you remember, I had to ask this morning, but I forgot. Remember the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a classic. And I watched it and and I, I kind of picked this up, but I used to use other words. But there is this word I would say to myself all the time, you idiot. You idiot. And I sense like the Lord say to me one day that, you know what? You need to stop that. You wouldn't say that to anybody else. Quit saying it to yourself. And some of you need to watch your self-talk. Dr. John Gottman uh, at the University of Washington has spent years studying marriages. He says, do you know what the most sure indicator that a marriage is in trouble? He said, it's when they start to speak with contempt. When couples speak to each other with contempt, whether in a tone of voice or the words themselves, that marriage is in trouble. We should never feel contempt for a person who's made in God's image and for whom Christ died. Here's what's really important. When, when, when you're really angry, you know what the best thing to do is be quiet. We're all prone to say things that we regret when we're angry. That's why James, Jesus' half-brother, his advice was so fitting. Everyone should be quick to listen, so to so, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because when your temper rises, you want to be slow to speak. You want to kind of go full flaps and bring it in and just... Listen. Second word he uses there is fool. That, that word is uh, in the Greek is moros, and you can tell where we get that. What word we get from that? It's moron. 
See, to, to call someone a fool, it wasn't an insult to their mental capacity or ability, but it was an insult to their moral character. It, it branded someone simply as a re rebel against God, as an immoral person. To call someone names murders their self-esteem, but attacking someone's character will ultimately murder their reputation. I find it interesting that people are so quick to jump to the wrong conclusion with people. It's so easy for us to assume the worst about others, to assign evil motives to behaviors that we really don't understand, or we make assessments and judgments because we don't agree with them. Jesus says, be careful. This isn't something that you mess with. This isn't something that you take flippantly and you take it lightly. It's so interesting how we want to protect our own reputation, but oftentimes we will hurt the reputation of somebody else and not even give it a second thought. Usually because we're either angry or we think we have the right to do that. Here's why I think it's so easy today. It is so acceptable in our national conscience because of what we've witnessed with politicians at the highest level. And now we're witnessing it with church leaders that seem to think they have the voice of God for America. Uh, be careful how you handle another person's character. Uh, Jesus wants to change us from the anger in our hearts to words that will build and beautify, not besmirch and betray. As a matter of fact, you know what he says? And I, 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 and I looked all over. I was trying to really help, trying to understand this, but he says, if you do this, be careful because you will be subject to hell. Gehenna. The word is Gehenna. It's the word uh, that Gehenna that we get our word hell from. It was a dump outside the city where they would take their refuge and their garbage. It was like this unending fire. It, it's like if you, you know, if you went to a dump and um, they, they just have all their stuff burning and it has this just ghastly smell, smoke, and heat. And they took it outside the, the city. And Jesus says, this is so serious. I want you to know that's where you could end up. I, I don't know what that really means. <laughs> because I'm thinking, wow, Lord, if that's however that works out, man, everybody in the world could end up there. But it's that serious to Jesus what we do with our words. So what does he say? Here's what I want you to do. 
with a broken relationship. Verse 23, it starts off with so. It's a connecting word. It connects what follows, what follows with what was preceded. He says, in light of what I've just said here, here's what I want you to do. Jesus tells us, I don't want you to, harvest, uh, to, uh, to harbor anger. And then he tells us what to do when there is anger, when there's broken relationships. He says, first of all, I want you to go and be reconciled. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift in the front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Imagine a Jewish pilgrim who had gone to Jerusalem on the day of atonement. He walks in and he says, I need a lamb. I need that little lamb to offer to the priest a sacrifice to cover my sins. And so he gets in there and he's going through his prayers and, you know, it's not his time yet. And, and he's sitting there and he's praying and all of a sudden he realizes there's somebody back home. So what does he do? He runs to the priest and says, hey, could you just kind of take care of my little sheep over there for a while? And, and I'm going to come back. And he goes and he goes to make it right because this was serious business to the Jews. Because see, the Jewish prophets, they repeated this theme in a number of places that God isn't just interested in your sacrifices, your ceremony, your religious activities, in your worship. If there's blood on your hands or there's hatred in your heart. And Jesus quoted one of these prophets when he told the Pharisees, go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy not sacrifice. Here's the big idea on this. You can't have a healthy relationship with God if you're nursing a grudge, hatred, or bitterness. There's a direct correlation between our relationship with people and our relationship with God. It's important we don't forget that. Here's what the Apostle John said again. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. So get reconciled. And then he says, I want you to settle matters quickly. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while they're still, uh, while you are still with him and on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer. So Jesus says, settle your matters quickly. He uses the illustration of two people going to court. See, it's better to settle ahead of time. The word is do it quickly, do it now. Because see, anger and bitterness and resentment and all of these things, they really don't get better by time. They get worse. What do you do if you get a fairly significant cut, doesn't quite need stitches? You clean it out as soon as possible. You lather some neosporin on it. You put a Band-Aid on it. Why? So that it will be safe and it'll be clean and it will heal. Why do you do that? Because if you don't, well, it's going to be exposed to infection and likely to become infected. If you don't clean up right away relationally, it tends to get infected. And anger slowly simmers into bitterness and hatred. So Jesus gives us this very simple and practical way to deal with these issues. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, what if somebody doesn't want to? Well, that becomes their issue, not yours. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Your responsibility, loved ones, my responsibility is to make the effort. Sometimes it takes a long time 
to heal, sometimes a little time. But usually spiritual triage done as quickly as possible can mend most broken relationships. That, that staff member that I told you about, that friend that we helped that embezzled a significant amount of money in our church. Um, but by the time I got back from vacation, I was just, I was so hurt. I was so mad. But I said, I want to go look her in the eye. And I just sat across from her and I said, do you understand what you've done to our church? She cried and she said, yes. And we worked through some things and I ended up praying with her. And I said this to her, I said, listen, I'm, I forgive you. At that time, I didn't know because we hadn't dealt with it in, in, in the way that we would deal with something like that with our membership. I didn't know if I was going to still have my job because I, I told the people, I said, you're going to see this one of two ways as a criminal mastermind or a dereliction of my duty. And the police came and cleared up that it was a kind of a masterminded criminal act that she did. And I tell you this, I think, I don't know if I told you this, but she's passed away since then. But I went and sat with her and I said, you know what the, you know what the best thing that you can do is? is you can come and sit in this church and get healed. And so, so many of the other people can get healed. She wouldn't do it. And I believe that, I don't believe that she died because of it, but I believe it affected her life physically because she already had some significant physical issues. I couldn't force her to come. Our church couldn't force her to come. But we wanted to do it because I believe, hear me loved ones, she would have been healed. And our church could have been healed at a deeper, more significant level. That's why you want to take care of things. Why is this so important to Jesus? Because it pictures the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to prove his love to us. Because there was this enmity uh, between you and God and me and God that had to be sealed and dealt with. And it was dealt with on the cross. Because there was anger and enmity between us and God. But Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring reconciliation. And I think maybe that's why Jesus might start with this one. Because he says, I want you to live the gospel everywhere you go and to everyone you encounter. I want you to stand with me, if you would, please. Father, we come this morning, Lord, we're so... Lord, so many of us have been bowled over by your incredible grace and your goodness. And today, Lord, I, I want to pray for people that I know that we're, there, there's a number of people here that are just going through some really deep weeds and difficult relational issues. But I pray, God, that we would be able to look at the ledger of our heart and to be able to know, Lord, the way that you would want us to deal with them. And that, Lord, people here, that, that where there's these relational breaches and relational brokennesses, that, Lord, there would be a sense of, I want this to be, I want to do my best to make it right. I, I want to be humble in this situation. 
Uh, but hear me, loved ones. Uh, we can't do that if we're not walking with Jesus. We can't do it if we don't have a relationship with this one who has raised the standard. And he does that because he says, I want you to know how much you need me. That in your own strength, in your own power, you won't be able to do this. And if you're here today, if you're online, I want to invite you that you would just say, I, I, wanna, I want to experience not only the forgiveness of this God, but I also want to be able to give it and to extend it. I don't want to be an angry, bitter, cynical, sarcastic person. And if that'd be you today online, you can just go to the, uh, there's an icon there with a hand and just say, I, I, want to, I want to follow Jesus today. I want to follow his ways. I want to do life his way. I want my heart to be changed. And if that's you, I encourage you just to click on the hand there. Or maybe you want to recommit today. I invite you just to click on that hand. And if you want prayer with that, somebody will be there and we're going to pray in just a moment. If you're here today, maybe somebody here today, you say, I got some I got some real bitterness that I'm working through. I'm working through some really difficult times with somebody or some situation. And if that's you, I, I want to pray for you this morning. And uh, this isn't to expose you. It's just simply to acknowledge our need that we need something beyond us, greater than us. It's Jesus to help us do that, the great reconciler. If you're here today, would you, and that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, hey, hey, Terry, would you just pray for me this morning? And uh, I need to work through this. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bet. Uh, thank you, friend. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Thank you, friends. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, friend. Yeah, I see you. Yeah, thanks, friends. Yeah, yeah, there's a number of us. It's life. But Jesus has a higher. Thank you. Yeah, I see you too. Yes, thank you. Uh, could, we just, could we just put our hands out here like this? Could you just put them in front of you? In, in the Old Testament, whenever they raised their hands, it was this statement that, God, I need you in this situation. Uh, I invite you in because if you don't come, if you don't do something, <laughs> I'm in pretty deep water. And for those of us, especially who have raised our hands this morning, just hold your hands out and say, Lord, I, I humbly come. I submit my life and this person or this situation to you today. Would, would you just come and fill my life and hands with you? Because I lift them in surrender to you and to your ways. And then maybe there's something in your heart or your life this morning that you would say, this is what I'm going to do sometime this week. Make it a movement. Don't just let it rest here today, but take the next step to do it God's way. So Father, I come and I pray for my, my friends that are here. I pray for my friends that are online who would be sitting in their room or laying in bed or wherever they are watching this and they've got their hands out. Lord, that is simply a call to you to come and help us. Give us your strength, Lord, to be forgiving to be grace-giving, to be loving, and to be forgiving, Lord, of those people. And I pray, Lord, that you would remove and extricate, Lord, through the power of your spirit, just this deep-seated anger that can sit there and, and, and boil under the surface. And we can be smiling and everybody sees it, uh, but inside, we're just ready to blow. 
And I pray, Lord, for every person that would be struggling with this, God, that you would remove that today and you would help them to take their next steps to walk in love and joy and the power and presence of your life and your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we, we surrender to you today in Jesus' name. And if you're here in this room or online and you want to receive Jesus, you want to follow him, I just invite you to say this prayer after me or some words to this effect. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I choose today to receive his forgiveness, his life, and to follow you. I make that choice today. Thank you that you love me and you forgive me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. 